if it's your job to get people to do stuff, you might want to look at game design and see how does how does game design get people to do stuff? And then how do you structure your systems in a way that motivates people to do the things you want them to do? You're listening to the NCMU Podcast, where we are dedicated to raising up and equipping the next generation of nerd culture missionaries and are proud members of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. In this episode, Bubba talks with Jacqueline S. Parrish, Director of Marketing at Southwestern Theological Seminary and keynote speaker at the 2023 Nerd Culture Ministry Summit. Join the conversation as Jacqueline speaks on the importance of community and how Dungeons and Dragons can help people find friendships in the places they already are. Hello and welcome. You're watching and or listening to the NCMU podcast, where we are dedicated to raising up the next generation of nerd culture missionaries. And we are proud members of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. My name is Bubba Stalkup. I'm the CEO, president, and founder here at Love Thy Nerd, which is a ministry dedicated to loving and serving our nerdy neighbors. And today I'm joined by Jacqueline, my good friend, Jacqueline S. Parrish. She's the director of marketing at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, she's also written for things like the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, the prestigious LoveThyNerd.com. And most recently, and probably more importantly, she wrote a paper that was published in the DBU Leadership Journal titled The Jobs a Game, How Game Design Builds Better Teams. More on that, I promise, in a moment. We're going to get to that in just a second. In addition to that, she has also um, done a lot of things for us at Love Thy Nerd. She's spoken at LTNCon in 2021, crushed it absolutely so hard that we asked her back to be the sole keynote speaker in 2022. That went so well that we invited her back to be the keynote speaker at the very first ever Nerd Culture Ministry Summit. Uh, that's going to be right this year in 2023. If you're listening before November 8th, you can still register to be a part of that. That's ncmssummit.com. Jacqueline, what's up, lady? Hey, how y'all doing? Uh, we all are doing just fine. I can speak on behalf of all of our wonderful listeners. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is not our first podcast together. No, we did one on horror of Yo, roundabout spooky season last year. Uh, you'd be yes, shocked how was... many people, you'd be shocked how few times Christians are like, please talk to me about horror literature. So I, it oh stuck out gosh. in my mind. It was such a blast. Uh, we'll have all the notes for that in, in the episode, but uh, that, that's Church Nerds episode 56. We titled it, Oh, the Horror. <laughs> we talked about, <laughs> you wrote an article called Holy Horror um, and how there's yeah. like healthy spiritual connection with horror. It's fantastic fantastic it's fascinating my wife and i just we, we still talk about that um no. to this day we're like hey uh halloween's coming up should we talk to Jacqueline again <laughs> so, uh, so go people back and are, listen to that, lining up guys, for that one. i'm telling you hey we had people in our community Jacqueline, that were like that was fantastic we never heard Yay. anything like that Yay. there was literally just just like the other maybe it was last week i saw somebody in our community that just posted a devotional on mm -hmm. horror did you see that i don't know if yeah you did it or did not. yeah that it did crazy and it, it, again yeah. it just clicked in my brain and i was like has we just had that there conversation are, there are dozens of us dozens <laughs> tens of people yeah <laughs> uh well hey jacqueline um 
we got a little bit of time here. Um, you and I could go back and forth, just kind of shooting the breeze and talking jokes and talking about mosaics, box on your wall and all sorts of things. Um, if you're watching the video version, please watch the video version. Uh, it's, it's worth <laughs> it. I promise. But Hey, we, we want to kind of talk a little bit about, um, where your nerdiness and your academia kind of cross paths, because mm -hmm. for us, in a very jealous kind of way, um, that adds a lot of credence to the things that we do that people who are smart and stuff um, have gone to, you know, the, all the colleges and are at the colleges and, you know, dealing with other people in academia can speak into that space on behalf of nerd culture. Um, so before we get so far into that, you play a lot of D&D. &D. I do. Like, like I a, think we like a just... clinical amount of D&D. Yeah, it's fine. I can quit whenever I want. It's fine. <laughs> I just don't want to. Yeah. I just don't want to. I think I think our team had our fifth anniversary recently. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've been playing. We started playing, I think it was like 2018, and just kept playing. Played through COVID. Played on Zoom for about a year, and now we're back at it. We're actually in our second campaign. because our, our campaign one characters are all basically gods now. And so, <laughs> so are they are they looking down on the other characters? Do they interact? Uh, uh, they do. That's been a lot of fun um, because, well, two of the people in our current campaign are the twins of the the people they played in the current in the previous campaign, and okay. so they're getting to have it's great. My our DM gets to play their parents, and they get to have uh, parental attention and therapy with past <laughs> versions of themselves. Yeah, D&D &D is just therapy with dragons. It's fine. Yeah, it fine. Really Take is. those issues, work them out. It's great. So, yeah. so are you only a part of a single campaign right now? Yeah, I'm just playing one. Uh, okay. There is a really unhelpful voice in my head that every once in a while goes, you should start a D&D &D game at work. Y'all can play on lunch break. You have so much free time. You can definitely do it. And it's like, you, I, I can't do that. I think I could find two or three people who would do that here at work. They might work in IT, um, but they might. they might statistically likely, but uh, <laughs> they might definitely. Then I remind myself, like, you don't have time to play two rounds of D and D. Uh, but oh, yeah, just the one campaign. Like literally every everybody else that plays Dungeons and Dragons. Because oh, like the first thing you do when you play D and D is you want more D and D. So yeah, uh, every Friday, I make the snacks. My husband's the DM. It's great. How long are your sessions normally? Oh, about three hours. Okay. About three hours. Our, our two-year-old goes to bed and then we just play until like 10 o'clock. And so it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. It has been really great. And Honestly, two, our D&D &D, sleeps the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. He's fine. Every once in a while, we'll hear him back there just kind of like, like talking. It's like, Hey, you're fine. Yeah. Um, Cause he is, he actually sleeps really well. And so he, he sleeps through it and, uh, We've learned to, to yell a little bit more quietly when one of us rolls an F20. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, how is the campaign going? How long has, has this current one been, been going on? When did we start campaign two? I think this is actually our second. Second, I think we're in year two of campaign two. We're about, we're about level 13. I think we're at level 13. Um, I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing, uh, so great. I am playing a human cleric bard. She's from a family of clerics 
um, that got kicked out of their religion whenever they found out that it, it was a religion to a non-existent God. Uh, so they escaped from a cult. She's the youngest daughter. And she's basically like her character is everyone in her family is in ministry. And she's like, I really love the whole religion thing, but I want to do rock and roll. And so she's, <laughs> she's a bard. And so I've got one level of cleric and the rest is just bard. And I have got, I've got mad, mad good charisma. And it is so much fun because I can talk between like guidance from the cleric Bardic inspiration for me, and I think I have a plus 12 to persuasion. Oh my I think gosh. I can max out at like 42 on a persuasion check. My my DM really loves it because I just kind of do one of these and say whatever <laughs> I want and then roll a d20 and go, hey, it's a 36. Yeah. Hi. And so <laughs> it's pass? been a lot of fun. Yeah. My first character was your typical edgelord character, really dark and broody ranger who's like, Father has been tragically killed by zombies, and she was uh, on a mission of vengeance. Oh, fuck you do when you when you play your first character. Everyone wants to be Batman, and so my second yeah. character has been like everyone else in the party is like really dark and like lots of trauma and lots of stress, and she's just acting like she's in a Pixar movie, and I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> my solution for everything so is to just take out my banjolele and play something. But, <laughs> So. Well, hey, it worked in things like The Witcher, so why wouldn't it work in your DM? Right? <laughs> uh, hey, have you have you seen? I watch a lot of TikTok. I'm not afraid to admit that. All right, I'm part of the problem, not the solution. And so, uh, there is a video going around. I, it came back around just the other day. Somebody sent it to me um, about rolling for ADHD. Have you guys have you seen that? I haven't. Yeah. So instead of doing like, you know, any kind of perception check or whatever check, roll for ADHD, you roll for ADHD. And it's like, all right, Hey, I rolled a 20. Okay, cool. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're creeping up. And uh, well, before you got there, you, you remembered that you stayed up late the night before and you couldn't go to sleep. So you read everything <laughs> there was to read on goblins. And so now you have an advantage or one nice. of them was like, they rolled a two and it was like, Hey, you're, you're creeping up on them. But you have this catchy tune that's in your head. So you start whistling out loud and you get caught. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that that's is true. so good. That's Every great. game should have that. Every game that's, should have that. It's, it's, it's too real. It's too real. Yeah. It's just a, a little, little chaos roll. No big deal. <laughs> well, Hey, yeah. when you're not playing D and D for the, you know, 16 minutes a day that you're not playing D and D we had mentioned earlier that you, you do a lot of writing. Um, you've been doing, you know, some speaking lately, a lot of it for us, which we highly appreciate that we will use you as much just, as you want to be used. Y'all just keep letting me say words. I don't know when you're going to catch on. Oh. Uh, probably never actually. Okay. Yeah. Never hundred hours from now. You, you recently <laughs> even just did a Bible thump for us, which, uh, pretty excited about that too. And so all, again, all that's going to be in the show notes on the podcast page, go to lovethynerd.com and find it. But you recently were published. I won't say you recently wrote a paper. You recently were published um, in the DBU, the Dallas Baptist University Leadership Journal. Um, mm -hmm. And your paper was called The Jobs a Game, How Game mm -hmm. Design Builds Better Teams. Mm -hmm. um, and I pulled a little snippet from that because for me, this kind of wrapped the whole thing up. This was like, this is, I don't know if it was or not, but for me, this was your thesis statement here. And this is mm -hmm. games, it would seem are extremely effective systems for directing, managing, and optimizing human action. Can you speak mm. a little bit on on that and how it kind of informs the rest of that paper? Yeah. Well, one of the things I talk about in the paper is that games, games are weird. They don't actually make sense. 
they're unproductive, they don't earn us anything, they don't make us any money, and like the actual activities themselves are nonsensical. You're, you're trading colored cards, you're stacking pieces of wood, you're moving pieces across a colored board, like you're, it, it doesn't mean anything, it's meaningless, but we do them. And we find them not only bearable, but actively enjoyable. We would rather do them than do other things. And so my logic was, if, if you are what Robert Cialdini would call a, uh, what does he call them? Persuasion professionals? Compliance <laughs> professionals. There we go. If it's your job to get people to do stuff, you might want to look at game design and see how does, how does game design get people to do stuff? And then how do you structure your systems in a way that motivates people to do the things you want them to do. And uh, one of the things I did was line up, basically what I do in the paper is line up, here are, here's what makes a game, here's what a game is, and then laid, sort of laid that on top of a book by, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, some writers called Kuzis and Posner, who write a lot about good leadership, and, and basically showed like, here's all these game design principles of what a game is, and here's all this research that these guys have said that people that show what people want in a good leader. And guess what? They're the same. They're the same. And so things like in a game, you need to have clear expectations and a clear goal. In leadership, you need to give your people clear expectations and a clear goal. You need to make the way you reach your goal very clear. You need to make the way you reach your goal really clear. You need to make sure there's agency. It's no fun to play a game and might be pushing buttons and nothing happening. In the same way, you need to make sure that you set your workplace and your team up in such a way that what people do at their job actually drives results they can see. Otherwise, they're just kind of doing things and not seeing any results. That doesn't feel good. And games also have some kind of a feedback system, is what I believe Jane McGonigal calls it in her book, Reality is Broken, where games, as you're playing a game, you can see and perceive very clearly if you're winning, you know, I have more money a monopoly or oh, my XP is going up. I'm progressing through the storyline, the video game in the same way. When you're building a team in the workplace, you need to make sure that your people can see the results of their work beyond just like, Hey, good job today. Like, that's nice. But I like to see, Oh, sales for this particular concert have gone up 10%. Oh, We've got this many more people registered for this particular event. Being able to clearly see kind of the Kickstarter um, progress bar up, that's very satisfying. And so that's basically what I talk about in the paper is, hey, if you design a game and if you're building a team, these are the same principles. Um, so, yeah, that's how it looks. I've seen before that there are certain businesses and industries that will use D&D like one shots or, you know, small campaigns as it were, mm -hmm. um, to vet people and to see kind of <laughs> what their leadership qualities actually are. And so seeing that, you know, the premise of that paper, I was like, ah, that's, that, that's not just concept like that. There, yeah, there are places the out there that actually do that. They start to interview people before they're being interviewed just mm -hmm. by seeing how they would react in a certain situation like oh well hey actually when we were when we were raiding this uh you know this this village over here man you, yeah you went way too far or you deviated from what we decided to do as a team and it mm -hmm. didn't benefit you know like that yeah. was i was watching you before you know i was watching you kind of a deal see that's funny and that is a little scary because you get to know people 
<laughs> you get to know people uh, in a way through D&D and other TTRPGs, I think, as well, yeah. uh, that you don't in in real life. Um, and that's both very exciting and sometimes very scary. I think it was uh, not Gene Hackman. The other one played Hook. Dustin Hoffman. Mm. Dustin Hoffman says the way film. you... Yes. <laughs> Uh, the way you play a character is you find a part of yourself that is that character and then you expand on it. And D&D is very similar. It's, it's You find a part of yourself and you either you play the reverse of it or you make this tiny facet of your personality, your whole personality. Like my character right now is basically me at age seven, uh, you know, before I got all, you know, dark and jaded. But in that way, when you play D&D with people, there are moments where either you yourself or other people kind of go, oh, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> so it's interesting. It can be both exciting and a little bit scary. So as you're like going through and, you know, you said your, your, your husband DMs, um, but mm-hmm. you have with your very high charisma role, you have like most mm-hmm. players do, you have agency as you were talking about it in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, how have you found that Maybe some of your faith aspects, I won't say all of them, but some of, some of your faith aspects maybe mm. kind of guide the way that even a fictional character in a game would or would not react to a situation. Hmm. That's a good question. I do know, like, I'm, it's probably closely related to my faith that I don't find it fun playing an evil character that's not fun for me. It doesn't mean it's immoral for other people who enjoy that, but that's sure. just not fun for me. Probably because that part of me should just, just put that back. <laughs> don't pretend that's not there. Uh, I don't need to let that version of Jacqueline out. But uh, I do know that on our in our current campaign, I like I said, I'm a, I'm a cleric bard, and but I am I do follow a god, mm-hmm. and I follow the creator god of this particular world who left the world and went and is currently residing in the plane of pandemonium because his greatest follower thousands of years ago, like his greatest follower and he had a a falling out and his follower fled to pandemonium. And basically this God has spent centuries waiting in pandemonium outside his tower, waiting for reconciliation. And I, knowing that as the mythology, I was very interested in playing a character that worshipped a god like that, that worshipped a god who uh, had become incarnate at one point, had had uh, meaningful relationships with the people who followed him, and who also was willing to uh, go to great lengths for reconciliation with one of his followers. I found that very appealing to me, and I'm sure that comes, I mean you've had five minutes of Sunday school, you can see the parallels that are happening there. So that is one way I've found that, that, uh, that my faith informs how I play D and D. Uh, would you find, because a lot of people that listen, um, maybe to this podcast or have dealt with people who don't listen or just know what they know about D and D satanic Mm. panic, all that stuff, everything gets looped just into one big bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, what what would you say to them to kind of help them understand the freeing nature of maybe walking through some of uh, the, the the faith questions that people might have and, and working yeah. out some of the things that they they can't ask in church? Yeah. Being able to do that in a fantasy setting in something like D&D. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that is the key difference between 
the world of Dungeons and Dragons and our world is that there is a pantheon as opposed to uh, a single god, and that makes for a very different that makes for a very very different dynamic religiously within the world. That's a completely different that's a completely different dynamic having many gods as opposed to just one. Also, the gods of D and D aren't sovereign and they aren't omnipotent the way that the Christian God is. Um, this is why you can never give gods a stat block, because if you give gods a stat block, what is what do the players want to do immediately? Fight it. <laughs> it's a level 40 character. It's got level 20 spells. I don't care. I'll use enough wizards casting fireball. Um, but playing in a, that's one of the things that's interesting about playing in a world and like imaginatively playing in a world of uh, multiple gods is that you your relationship with that god as a fictional character is very quickly measurably different than what your relationship to the Christian god would be. Because it's one thing, you have a menu of options to choose from when it comes to gods. Some are fun, some are not, some are evil, some are benevolent, malevolent. And also the gods are, are limited. They They... They have agency within the world. They work through their people. They occasionally work miraculously through their followers. But they are not sovereign or omnipotent like the Christian God is. And that actually the experience of that in a multi-deity world actually makes makes the Christian experience, it highlights the differences of what a Christian experience is in terms of your how you relate to the God you worship. It's a very, very different experience. It feels a lot more like making a it feels a lot more transactional D D religion in the sense of like i follow this particular god it's more like being in their employee mm. and uh supporting their cause um supporting the principles they stand for as opposed to christianity which is less about choosing a god and more acknowledging that this is the only god there is and submitting to ultimate reality those are two very different things and that I, I think kind of imaginatively playing in a multi-god world makes what's desirable about Christian religion more obvious. Mm. That's really cool. Hopefully that's insightful for, you know, anybody who is thinking okay. about that or is struggling with it. Uh, I yeah. know that I, I asked that question specifically because I know that we've had that conversation over the course of several years and a lot of different uh, areas. Yeah. And so yeah. I like to get those words out for people who may this be the first time that they're ever hearing you or, or seeing you. Um, and again, please come hang out with us at the summit, ncmsummit.com, November 8th through the 10th. Uh, hey, Jacqueline, can you tell us a little bit about your calling into, mm. uh, into ministry? Um, and I know mm. that that is just a big old ball of wax, but really kind of what I'm what I'm thinking about is the moment that you started to to kind of let your your academia, um, you know, your work life and your yeah. play life really intersect. Well, it was probably freshman year of college. Um, I grew up in a family that was really they were fine with me reading Harry Potter. My mom was uncomfortable with me reading Left Behind, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> uh, Harry Potter was fine. I didn't get in trouble for watching Atlantis, like my family was pretty chill about all that, despite being a Southern Baptist minister family. And so I didn't go into college with a lot of baggage of 
ooh, all this pop culture stuff is probably secretly evil and I should stay away from it. It was pretty much like, oh, I like this and this is tasty and that's fun. This is good times. But what changed my freshman year of college was a class I call I took called Developing a Christian Mind by a man named David K. Novel. And in it, he walked through the basics of what he calls the Christian worldview. And the way he painted it was something, a very simple way he painted it that I'd never heard before. And the concept he simply introduced me to was like the whole world was created good. The whole world. All of it. Light, English breakfast tea, grandmother's strawberry jam. Everything is good. Everything is fallen. And everything is being redeemed and will ultimately be fully redeemed at, at Christ's second coming. And one of the things he emphasized over and over again is that you can lead a life of eternal significance and value outside of ministry. Because up until that point, I'd kind of gotten the idea more by osmosis than actual education that the best Christians were missionaries and then the second best Christians were uh, like people in ministry um, and then everybody else. And mostly to everybody else, they their professional lives really only existed in order to make money, in order to give money to the ministers and the missionaries. And his class introduced me to the idea of you no, know, you can you you can lead a life of direct significance, not derivative significance. If you're a stay-at-home mom or a pastry chef or a novelist or a sculptor, or a landshoreman, longshoreman. Yeah, you can tell I grew up in West Texas. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm not really sure what a longshoreman is. It's something nautical. But he was the first person to introduce me to the idea that all of, it's, it's basic creation mandate, cultural mandate, image of God type doctrine, I know now, but it was revolutionary to me at the time that I don't have to be in ministry to do stuff that is, good, true, and beautiful. Um, he tells a story. Sorry, he passed away recently, and I'm still pretty sad about it. Mm. He tells a story in one of the books he wrote about, he had been, as a young as a young scholar, he had been writing about these ideas in a book he later published, and thinking about the idea that everything matters to God, that the physical world, trees and flowers and architecture and archaeology and homeschooling, like it all matters to God. And he was thinking through all this as he was eating these mashed potatoes. And he um, had the thought, does God care about these mashed potatoes? Do these mashed potatoes really matter to God? And to which he replied a resounding, yes, the mashed potatoes matter. They have eternal <laughs> significance. They have eternal value. And that was new to me. That was the first time I heard really laid out clearly in a way I could understand uh, you don't have to be employed at a church to have a life of significance. And so that set me on a journey in college of kind of a, the way he always put it was, you've probably grown up your whole life in the fishbowl of, uh, of Christianity. And he wanted us to get out of the fishbowl and into the ocean and see that the world is so much bigger and brighter and more beautiful and exciting and dangerous than we had thought. And that's really what, what college was for me at Dallas Baptist University was kind of playing in this really exciting sandbox that uh, like taking all the things I loved 
and pursuing them with the confidence that this matters to God. D&D matters to God. Board games matter to God. Um, that was new to me. And so that's, that's really how I ended up in this place because someone introduced me to the idea that this stuff actually has eternal significance. And that's what I've been running with ever since. That's fantastic. I've been, I've been kind of taking on, you know, some of, some of the verbiage when I'm, when I'm talking to people and helping them understand about nerd culture, I'll say something very similar. I, I tell them a lot that, Hey, what you love matters because it matters to you and you matter to God. And yep. It matters to God, maybe even via the transitive property, and that's mm. okay. Um, but still, it matters to God, period, yeah. end of story. Eternal yeah. significance, that's in value. That, that, that's, that's the way to think about it. And I wish everybody, I wish everybody thought about it that way. Not just nerd yeah. culture stuff, but the thing that, whatever the thing that you like to knit, that matters yeah. to God. You like to, you know, fish, that matters to God. Um, mm -hmm. If you can't, if you can't look at the world through a Colossians three seventeen, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, kind of a mindset and a viewpoint, then what are you doing? You're still in that mm -hmm. fishbowl. I love that analogy. I'm still it's yeah, mine. Great. Now. Um, yep, it's yours, David if, K. Noggle. If you can't, well, Bubba Stalkup <laughs> is what it's going to say. And so, oh, if, <laughs> that's like Michael Scott, Wayne Gretzky, you know. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I really, I really, really love that. And so, as we we look at that, and that helps to inform kind of the relationship that, that you and I have formed and, you know, love thy nerd and stuff like that. Like we've invited you several times to come and speak for us. Um, and not just for us, but to us, like on behalf of us, like, Hey, whatever Jacqueline says, that's <laughs> we, yes, we agree with that. Yeah. Bear that weight. So with that yeah. being in mind, you're, you're going to be there at the nerd culture ministry summit in November. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're one of our keynote speakers. And so can you speak a little bit on, what that topic is um, and kind of what people can expect. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about something I call a theology of fun. Uh, in the course of really my relationship with Love Thy Nerd, I've been thinking a lot about the concept of, of fun. What does it mean to have fun? Does God care about the fun you have? I'm a very productive-minded person. I, uh, I identify a lot with the character of Hamilton, of him just writing himself like very nearly to death, desperate to leave his mark on the world and desperate to like, have we done enough when it's over? Have I done enough? Like that's in the back of my head all the time. Uh, you got to do more. You got to do more. You got to prove, you got to make sure that God has a good ROI. Um, and so I'm interested in the idea of a theology of fun. Like the God, does God want me to have fun? What does it mean to have fun? Um, what is our theology of fun? Does fun matter? And so I'm going to be talking about how fun works psychologically based largely on the research of a guy named Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. And then I'm also going to be talking about how what he found in his uh, psychological studies is reflected in what we see in the first two chapters of Genesis in the doctrine of the image of God and how that plays out in all their relationships. And I make the argument that that God made us for fun, that God made us to enjoy the world he gave us. He made us to enjoy making wonderful things and giving to others. He made us to enjoy receiving good gifts from others. He also made us for fun in the sense that God didn't need us, doesn't yeah. need us. We're extra. We're, we're, it's, it's like the universe is unnecessary. 
God made us because he wanted us. We don't provide God anything he doesn't already have, to which I say, well, then God made you for fun. He made you because he likes you. He made you to enjoy you. Like the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, we are created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God made you for fun. God doesn't need you. He wants you. And so that's the argument I'm going to be making and then drawing some applications for, okay, if that's what fun means to God, what is a doctrine of fun? How does that doctrine of fun, theology of fun, (laughs) inform what we call nerd culture ministry? Yeah. That's fun. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, Drew Dixon, one of our founders, he, he would talk about something very similar to that often that you, you can't sacrifice fun. You need it. It is, um, he might've talked about it as like rest. Um, he wrote mm-hmm. a really great article for us, uh, you know, about, um, uh, breath of the wild and like finding rest in, in that, you know, overwhelming nature. And it's like, well, that's just kind of how the world is. So like, if you can't find it there, you can't find it anywhere. And so, um, <laughs> But this idea yeah. that you're talking about that, like, hey, we're like, God, we don't sustain God. God sustains us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he yeah. doesn't need people. And that's really hard for, like, super selfish, especially Westerners, right? Like, yeah. well, of course he needs us. Like, well, what's he going to do if we don't worship him? <laughs> the same thing He'll he be was doing <laughs> before we existed, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then you start talking about time and is it circular or linear? And that's like a whole nother wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. It's, yeah. It's like a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> I've been saying yeah. to myself, and I think I've said out loud to a couple of people, it's about time to go back all the way through. And I mean, all the way through oh, yeah. Doctor Who. Ooh, like all the way back to, to heart. All the way. Whoa. All the way. So that's, that's the kind of itch that I have. Um, is, is the doctor who itch. Now, if I started, you know, uh, you know, say like 10th doctor or something like that, that would be fine. It would be, it'd be okay. Um, I don't know, man. Don't skip Eccleston. Eccleston's underrated cause he had a lower budget, but I, I love Eccleston. We've got a little bit of time. We'll talk about it. I, I, I remember the very first time that I watched doctor who and it was Did Eccleston. You? It was his season because that was which the, episode? which episode, the, fir- which episode the first, mannequins of the first one. Oh, <gasps> Yeah, hated it. Hated it. Oh my gosh, I hated it so bad. And I don't use the word hate very often. I usually say, "Hey, you know, it's not for me." I was like, "No, that was a terrible episode." Oh, but it wasn't until it wasn't until I had somebody go, "Hey, listen, you're a newbie. All right, you're a noob here. Let me give you the watch order. Yeah, you, you start with blink." And you work your way forward. And then when you finish that season, you go back and you watch Eccleson and you'll appreciate yeah. it a lot more. And you know what? Uh, they were absolutely right. And I love yeah. it. I love it now. I'm like, oh, that was yeah. that was one of the most Doctor Who episodes that has ever Doctor Who. It was so Doctor Who, all the all the mannequins walking around. It was so good. That's, I, that's your starting point. Ugh, that's a lot. That's a that's a lot. I started actually, I think the first episode I watched all the way through was The Unicorn and the Wasp. And oh, at that point. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just on. I was over at a friend's house and it was on. And I had okay. seen enough. I had seen so much Hercule Poirot <laughs> and I'd read lots of Miss Marple and Agatha Christie. And so I was watching it and going, oh, this, I was recognizing what they were spoofing. Yeah, and I had yeah. no idea. I was like, oh, this is, this is a giant wasp. This is an alien. All right, this is fun. <laughs> and so 
it gave me enough, I had enough resonance to realize, okay, this thing in particular is doing something funny with Agatha Christie. And then later on, I went back and was like, so what's the story with this Dr. Gay? Yeah. And ended up watching it. Ended the up watching it. Secondary character flying around yeah. in the phone booth. Yeah. Mm, the phone booth. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited that, that, I'm so excited that T. Davies is coming back. <laughs> I was going to make a joke. Do you have that was, a favorite doctor? Uh, I I'm think not going to say Tenet. best or worst. I'm just say favorite. See, I, I think Tennant's my favorite, but actually, like, I really love Donna. Donna's my mm. favorite companion. Okay. Uh, I do not prefer Amy Pond. I do not prefer That's okay. her. That's she okay. is selfish That's and okay. does not value either Rory or the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. I don't, don't like her, um, but I love I love Donna. I love the idea of a character who no one thought was important. She's a tenth from Tizik. Oh she doesn't my matter. She's not even young and pretty, nope. and that she becomes the most important woman in the universe. I mean, and she is. Yeah. Oh my gosh! She's incredible. Dude. So the fact that we're not just getting you know another episode or two with Tennant, which is great, but that Donna's coming back. Um. Yeah, because the way the way her character got written out, spoiler alert, just it absolutely well, broke my heart. So again, a thousand years ago, right? And so, like, um, for for me, since you asked, for me, uh, my 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 favorite, my favorite is Tenet. All right, mm. my that is my favorite. He's he's my A one since day one. I mean, the very first the very first time I actually saw Tenet and really got involved with him as an actor was mm-hmm. oddly enough, uh, was at, when he played Purple Man. Um, yeah. And Jessica Jones, that was the first <laughs> time I'd ever, I'd, really? I'd ever got in, like heard of him or like really got into it. And then I think huh. I went from that to Broadchurch, weird jump, Broadchurch, Broadchurch wait, 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 wait. to British Broadchurch or the, the, the travesty that America visited upon Broadchurch. Uh, I don't know that. What's the difference? One takes place in America. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I watch all of it, and so yeah. like, was Tenet in both of them? Yes. Okay. No, they made a there's a there's a British show Broadchurch, and then America was just like we're going to do the same thing, and they <laughs> they they recast the female lead as shockingly like twenty years younger and hot. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, and um, because. Because America, yeah, and then yeah. they just like took David Tennant and put him over here and had him say the same lines but with an American accent. Oh but, no 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 no! I I got him. I think got the he, OG. Yeah, what was he like Scottish or something like that? Like it was like yeah. he was yeah. That's yeah. that's what I Idiot. got. Oh, Sorry. it would hey. Good. I don't. This this Perfect. is one of those moments where I would say I don't know that I necessarily recommend Broadchurch, but I watched. It's it. difficult to watch. Yeah. It, Very it's challenging. heavy, like ev- every season of it is a trigger warning because it deals with something yep. like really deep um, mm-hmm. and like, like brooding, uh, massive yeah. cover-ups, huge crime, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's a fantastic actor. So I watched that oh, yeah. and I was like, oh, I will go to the moon with this guy. <laughs> and they're I like, hey, you know, he's in, he's in Doctor Who. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm that much of a nerd. Turns out I oh. am. I am exactly mm-hmm. that much of a nerd. And so, but, so he's my favorite. If yeah. I were to do like categorically best, subjectively best, right? Not objectively. Mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. to say it's Matt Smith. 
Now hear me hmm. out. I think Tenet, again, favorite doctor for a lot of reasons. He didn't have the storytelling and the writing that Matt Smith had. Oh, you and I differ That's very okay. much. Hey, Jacqueline, you're allowed to be wrong. That's totally fine. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. We're not like, no, 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 no. Stephen Moffat is not a better writer than our Lord and Savior, not our Lord and Savior, um, than his majesty, Russell T. Davies. There's a reason that they're dragging RTD back to right. Okay, so you, you're right. You're right. And I don't know what was going on at that point, but I know like the, the reason that the reason that David Tennant is so like wildly like just welcome to the Doctor Who podcast, everybody. Yeah, so wildly like, beloved, like everybody knew that when Matt Smith was brought in, there was an entire mm. episode. Do you remember that? Where they're like, hey, we're going to call the old doctor. Um, and it was yeah. David Tennant and David Tennant's like, hey, I'm I'm going to talk to you on this phone, but I'm talking to everybody watching this. I'm not coming back. Mm. Handed over to Matt Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's just not true. Not true. Hail yeah. to the chief. We have to, anyhow. No, I mean, I'm, ex I'm excited for it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce his name right, but I'm excited for Nkutagatwa. If we couldn't have Idris Elba, that yeah. sounds great too. Yeah. Um, no, but really, what I'm really excited for is Russell T. Davies. RTD has a way of, of just breaking my heart mm. every time. Just keep coming back for more. Yeah, yeah, make it hurt. Make it hurt, Russell. Why do I do this? There are very few episodes in Doctor Who where I just look at it and go, mm -hmm. I could, I probably could have missed this one and we would have been just fine. Very few episodes. Most of them are like, that should be required watching. Yeah. Love and Monsters. That's the one that everyone's just like, no, I don't know about that one. I don't know if I you know which one I'm even talking I about. Take, I could take it or leave it. I could take it or leave it. And so, mm -hmm. like, I, I look at it and I'm like, all right, well, that's that's the same thing with every episode or every season of of every show, rather, right? Like, there's some that are in there that it's like, maybe Loki's onto something with six episodes. Maybe we're onto something with that, right? There's there, there I've actually thought this recently, watching back through Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> is that we're running out of time, sorry. Jacqueline? All right, you got to stay stop. on mission here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, there's way more episodes than are needed. Twenty episodes in a season. Oh man, a literal yeah, conversation nah. I had with somebody just yesterday actually was: mm -hmm. Do you remember watching twenty two episodes? Um, and had just being like, you would get the episodes where <laughs> it would it would cut away a cliffhanger, and you wouldn't even come back to that story for three weeks. And it's like, how do we live like that? We I, I don't yeah. know that we did. I don't know that we did. So now we have stuff like Ahsoka. <laughs> Where you're left on a big cliffhanger, and guess what? You come right back, boom! We're we're finishing the story, and so I, I really appreciate the modern storytelling um, that we have. Hey, it's speaking of modern efficient. storytelling, this is a good segue here. Um, yeah, man. we'd like to ask this of all of of our uh, you know people that we interview here on the podcast. If mm. you could go back to that intersection point where you're starting to have your your faith and uh, you know your your academia, your nerdiness and your academia and your faith, that that three way intersection mm -hmm. right there. If you could go mm -hmm. back to that point and tell Jacqueline something that you know now that she should have known then, mm. what would you have said? Um, you can have more friends than you think if you look for them. Um, I, one of the things I love about nerdiness is that it brings people together. Uh, 
and we need a lot more things that bring people together. And the longer I've been a nerd, the more people I've met that are very, very different from me, um, ideologically, personality-wise, background, that because we're nerds about the same thing, it's just enough, like, that square inch of common ground is just enough for us to figure out how to just to figure out how to be friends in the midst of all the other ways we're different. And uh, that has been, I think there are friendships I could have enjoyed in years past if I had been willing to lean more heavily on that square inch of common ground than on the potentially miles and miles of differences I had with people. And so I think that's what I would, what I would tell my younger self. You have friends where you don't think you can if you'll try and it's worth it. That's good. That's good. Um, some of you may have heard that some other place before. I won't tell you where. Um, <laughs> hey, Jacqueline, where can people find you online? If they want oh, to follow yeah. some of the stuff you're doing. Uh, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn as Jacqueline S. Parrish, the two R's on everything. I'll be honest. I'm not really active right now. <laughs> I, but if I write something, I post it. I so if you're interested in anything I write, it will eventually show up on there. I'm probably most active on Facebook just because uh, that's where our that's where our Facebook group is for our D and D group. So I have there to have a Facebook. Um, I'm also I'm in the LTN Discord a whole lot. Quite a uh, bit, yeah. I basically have ex- I basically have exchanged traditional social media for just hanging out in the LTN Discord because it's way less toxic. Wow. And it's like full of full of like nice people who respect boundaries. <laughs> and so that's more or less where you can find me. Like you're totally, I would be flattered if you follow me on any of the other ones, but just be aware. I don't say very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, yeah. you can also find Jacqueline at the nerd culture ministry summit. So be sure to head on over to ncmsummit.com to register for that first ever nerd culture ministry summit, November the 8th through the 10th in Marble Falls, Texas. And uh, you can hear more about Jacqueline and uh, all of our other great speakers. Um, if you go over there and follow us there, you can also meet Christian content creators, nerd culture missionaries, and early adopters in this space to find ways to better identify and activate the nerds that sit right next to you on Sunday mornings. It's going to be a great time and we'd love to have you. So go ahead and head over again to ncmsummit.com. Each organization that registers, at least one person gets a plus one so that you can Cast the vision together rather than alone when you head back home. Once again, ncmsummit.com, November the 8th through the 10th in Marble Falls, Texas. Hey, Jacqueline, thanks again for joining us today. And thank you, listener. Be sure to come back next time for another episode of the Nerd Culture Ministry Underground Podcast. been listening to the NCMU podcast with hosts Mark Lutz of Lux Digital Church and Bubba Stallcup of Love Thy Nerd. NCMU is a member of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network and available on all major podcasting platforms. The NCMU podcast is part of a greater movement called the Nerd Culture Ministry Collective. You can get more information about this show, our guests, and how you can join our Nerd Culture Ministry Collective Discord server by visiting ncmcollective.com. Mm-hmm.